0: students know jesus christ so if you're here you have questions you want to know what that means we would love to help you with that and if you're new with us that is it's your first time we're thankful that you came this is special it's different we hope you come back we can't wait someday to meet you in person for real but for tonight thanks for coming behind your windshield we're glad you're here now for all of you i want you to think about what your favorite place is on the planet take a minute and just put your mind into that special place your favorite place on this planet you got it mine is a place that we call lake powell it's in utah and it is an incredible incredible lake my family has a houseboat there we go every single summer Uh, it is remarkable physically as you see these giant sheer red rock cliffs You've got this expansive blue sky, these huge white thunderclouds that roll through, and endless canyons that are filled with water as far as the eye can see. It is amazing, no city lights, no other people, you're all alone, and it is spectacular. My favorite place. What's your favorite place? Some of you, I'm just gonna guess, maybe you're thinking of the Grand Canyon, if you've been there. For some of you that love the Dawn Wall, in Yosemite, El Capitan. You've been up there hiking around. It's amazing. Um, Maybe walking or, or sitting by the seashore, staring out into the ocean at some exotic place. I don't know what it is for you, but listen to this. When you stand at the crest of the Grand Canyon or when you sit at the beach and you look out over that horizon and you're waiting for the sun to dip so you can see that green flash. Have you ever seen it before? It really does exist. Anyway, that's for another time. Or you're laying in your sleeping bag at night in the middle of nowhere, looking up at the infinite space above you and the stars. You're hit with the reality. And sometimes it's just for a minute, but the reality is that you are just a speck. You are just a small, small part of this infinite universe. In fact, the Bible says that man is just dust. We're here for a little while and then we're gone. And in those moments of quiet contemplation while you watch the sunset, while you walk the Grand Canyon, while you lay up at night looking at the stars, this is the simple truth. You and I were made to worship. We were made to pay homage and give praise to something greater or someone greater than ourselves. You see, you're not the product of a, a byproduct of an evolutionary process, but the special work of a creator who made you in his image. And He gave you intelligence. He gave you rational thought. He gave you the ability to reason, to think, to have relationships. And listen, most importantly, He gave you the ability to worship Him. Let me say it one more time. You were made to worship. But as a result of the fall, worship got messed up. The fall did not change the fact that people were made to be worshipers. But it did change, listen carefully, the object of our worship. For in that moment, man chose not to worship God, but to worship other things. In the words of Romans chapter 1, man chose to worship the creature, the creation, rather than the creator. Now I can illustrate this pretty easily. If you've ever been to a professional sporting event... I remember taking Tracy to a Kings game a couple years ago at the Staples Center, same place the Lakers play. So maybe if you've been to a Laker game, it's basically the same thing. And the seats go up into infinity, basically. And there's 15,000 people gathered around looking down. And as the Kings skated onto the ice, they played a song, not the best song, Take Me to Church and people stood as they came on the ice, and the bass is booming, and people are raising their hands, and they're cheering, and they're high-fiving each other, and talking about their favorite player, and they're intently focused on what's happening down below them, and they are worshiping. If you've ever been to a concert, my most recent concert was at Rose Bowl, which seats somewhere around 70,000, 80,000 people, and you too took the stage. And there are people, it looks like a sea of people as far as you can see, everybody raising their hands, singing along, phones out, taking pictures, and living in this experience. Maybe a little simpler is if you go to your local gym. Bobby and Sarah have a month-long pass. For the whole month of May, they get to go for free uh, to a local gym. If you go into a gym and you look at people staring at themselves in the mirror while they're lifting, that is another form of worship. Worship is happening all around us, everywhere we look, everywhere we go. What's happening? Here it is. You and I were made to worship, and the fall didn't change the fact that we worship. The fall just changed the object of our worship. So what is worship? Webster defines worship as the expression of adoration for something. John Piper, getting a little bit closer, says it is treasuring God above all things. Eric Liddell, who's a missionary to China, said it's complete surrender. I like that. Worship is complete surrender. Well, if you've been with us online the last couple Fridays, we started a series called Identity, where we're answering one simple question, who are you? Think about it for a minute. Who are you? The more you ponder, the more you think about that question, the harder it is to answer. Because your true identity is not wrapped up in an occupation. Some of you are thinking barista, student, things of that nature. It's not wrapped up in a relational status. I'm a husband, I'm a wife, I'm a boyfriend, I'm a girlfriend, I'm a father, I'm a son. It's not wrapped up even in the fact that you're an American, even though most of us are. As a Christian, Your identity is that you are in Christ. 75 times in the New Testament, it says that you and I, who are born again, are in Christ. What does that mean? It means that we are a new creation and that God is forming us and conforming us into the image of His Son. Last week, we said that you are a child of God who is loved by your Father. This week, adding one more aspect of your identity in Christ, we're gonna say that you are a temple or you are the temple of God and you were made to worship. You are the temple of God and you are a worshiper. And we're gonna look at just one verse that defines worship. It's Romans chapter 12, verse one. But before we get there, let me define this just a little bit further and help set the table as your identity as a worshiper. The Bible teaches in the Old Testament that God's presence was set in one place. It was set only in the temple. The temple was located in a geographical location, the city of Jerusalem. And God resided in the temple, and not just in the temple, but in a place called the Holy of Holies, the the inner sanctum of the temple, separated by a veil. That's where the presence of God was. But now, since the cross, the veil was torn down, the temple has been destroyed, and now in Christ... The Bible teaches that you and I are God's temple. In other words, Jesus Christ lives inside of you. Galatians 2.20, one of these popular, um, awesome verses, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The Bible teaches that he resides in you and that you are his temple. Now, I wanna give you just two verses to show this to you. You don't have to turn there, but 1 Peter 2.5 says, says this, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. You're a stone being made into a spiritual house, into a temple. And it says there to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. How about 1 Corinthians three sixteen? Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? So let me go back. You are the temple of God. That is your identity, and you are a worshiper. Let me ask you this question. What are you worshiping today? Said in a different way, what do you treasure most? What do you find most value in? Is it a relationship? Is it in your social standing? Is it in your possession? Maybe the car that you're sitting in right now, the accolades of others. What is it that you value most? It could be a sports team, could be a bank account, could be some desire or fantasy. The simple reality is that we are all worshiping God, but some of our gods have little Gs. Every one of us has placed something of supreme importance at the head of our life that we bow down to whether it's made of physical things or an idea or something else, a little g versus God with the big g. (coughs) But there is only one object worthy of our worship and it is Jesus Christ. So if you haven't turned there, go and flip to Romans chapter 12 and let me read verse one. And we're gonna work through this and see how God defines worship in his word. Romans 12, one, a very familiar verse. Therefore, I urge you, brethren by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. I wanna point out the phrase right at the beginning. Look at your Bibles, it's the last phrase there. Your spiritual service of worship. That means your reasonable service or your logical response to God. If I was to say this a different way, just so you know what this verse is talking about, your spiritual service of worship is telling you, this is how you worship God rightly. And so tonight I wanna draw four characteristics of worship from this verse. How you and I are supposed to worship God with a big G. So here they are, number one, worship involves all that you are. Worship involves all that you are. Let's start by looking at the phrase, look in your Bibles, I'm gonna jump around a little bit. About halfway through it says there, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. We're gonna focus on the phrase, presenting your bodies. Now this is a reference to your physical body, but it has the idea of putting yourself, your whole self, all that you are on an altar. And the imagery here points back to the Old Testament, back to the time when you, they, we were in the temple, to the sacrificial system where they would take an animal and they would bring it into the temple, they would place it on the altar and they would offer it to God, a sheep, a goat, an ox, even some type of pigeons at times. The whole animal in its entirety was placed on that, off, that altar and was offered to God. So as a Christian, your offering to God is not an animal sacrifice. It is not a check that you write every week. It is not indulgences that you pay. It's no form of religious effort in terms of trying to do good. It is to give your entire self to God. All that you are, your physical body, your mind, and your will are placed at his feet, or better yet, placed on his altar. We are to lay every lustful thought, every rebel desire, all sinful cravings on that altar. If you want to flip back, look at Romans (coughs) 6.13. Romans 6.13. It says there, and do not go on presenting the members of your body, the members of your body, that's your physical members, to sin. As instruments of right unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Stop presenting your body to sin, start presenting it to God. Why? Why? We already answered the question. Because your body is his temple. You gotta see this, so flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter six, verse 19. First Corinthians six, verse nineteen. And it says there, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. The God of this universe dwells in you, and your body is to be given to his worship and not to satisfying its own desires. If you think back, there was a physical temple. It existed for one purpose, and that was for the worship of God. Your body now exists for one purpose, and that is for the worship of God. He didn't give you the members of your body to exercise your own sinful pleasures. He gave you arms, legs, hands, feet, every member of your body to worship him. So let me ask you, how are you using your body right now? Would you say you're using your physical body and even all that you are to worship the Savior? Or are you using it to worship something else? Let me get a little more practical. Let's talk about your eyes. Your eyes are a gift given to you by God. They're amazing, aren't they? You can see me right now. Each eye has over 2 million working parts and can distinguish 10 million different colors. If your eye were a digital camera, it would be 576 megapixels. 576. Just a few more than Brandy's Galaxy from Samsung, but not by much. I can't hear her laughing because she's in her car. She might be crying right now. Anyway, that doesn't matter. Your eyeballs are given to you as a gift from God. Are you using them for the worship of God or are you using them for other fleshly pleasures? 2 Peter 2.14 talks about certain individuals, listen to this, what it says, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin. Would that define your eyes? Head on a swivel, always looking for the next piece of meat to satisfy your lust by looking. What about what you watch on TV? what you see in the movies, what nobody sees when the door is closed on your phone or your iPad or your computer. Do you watch things that demonstrate that you are a worshiper of God or a worshiper of the pleasures of the flesh? Let's talk about your hands. Your hands are pretty amazing. You realize the grip strength that comes from having an opposable thumb. Did you know that you're one of only a few animals on earth that has the opposable thumb? And this allows you to do so many things that regular animals can't do. There's a story in 1 Kings where there's a prideful king and he gets um, dethroned and he gets thrown into prison with a bunch of other kings and they have cut all of their thumbs off. It's crazy because your thumbs are so important. Anyway, what about your hands? What do your hands do? Are they worshiping the Lord? Or are they worshiping yourself? Where does that thumb take you on your phone? To what sites, websites, to what social media platforms? Where, what, where does your finger take you when you click the mouse on your computer? Do those hands that God gave you touch things they're not supposed to with your boyfriend or your girlfriend? What about your ears? What an amazing gift that right now you can hear what I'm saying and understand it. The Lord has given us auditory capabilities to be able to hear something and process it and understand it. How are your ears these days? What do they listen to? Is it music with explicit lyrics? Do you engage in conversation with others that's raunchy? Uh, What about the mouth God gave you? Are you using that for His glory, blessing others, encouraging others, or are you using that to tear down other people? The point is simple, God gave you the body that you have with all of the members, every single part of your body, sexual organs included, every part of your body given to you by God, not to worship self, but to worship Him. The reason to say no to pornography, the reason not to mess around with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, the reason not to eat too much, or to dress too modestly, or to stay away from drugs and alcohol is not to be a goody two shoes rule follower, it is to honor God with the vessel that he gave you. It echoes Paul's heart in Philippians 1.20. Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body. It's really cool. I've uh Enjoyed this new fangled device app uh, company called OfferUp. Have you used OfferUp yet? I like OfferUp. It's kind of like Craigslist, but a little different. You can sell anything you want on OfferUp. It's amazing. Yesterday, some guy came to our house and bought a jigsaw from us. That's pretty cool. You know what's not cool about that story? The reason we sold the jigsaw is because we were cleaning the garage the other day, and I found out that I have two jigsaws which tells you I have a very bad memory because one day I had one and I used it. And then sometime later I needed it again and I went and bought another one because I forgot that I had one. But anyway, we rectified that problem yesterday. But what if you decided to buy a car on OfferUp and the picture looked really good and then you went to see it and you went to start the engine and it didn't start. You thought that's interesting and so you went and popped the hood and there was no engine under the hood. Now, you'd say, wait, what, what, what is this? I'm not buying this car, it doesn't work. I need the whole car, I need everything. All components working together. Uh, the, the, the idea of offer up is so that you can get the things that you need and you pay for what makes sense. You want the whole car, it's all or nothing. And I just think it's similar with worship. God wants all of you or he wants nothing. It is not okay to say, well, that's just my thing I do, my body. It's okay to let my eyes wander. It's okay that I'm a little bit lazy. No, God wants your body to be disciplined for the purpose of worshiping him. Worshiping him. So, worship involves all that you are. That's our first point. Secondly, worship is costly. Worship is costly. Look at that phrase in Romans 12.1. Look back at your Bibles. He says to present your bodies. We just looked at that. Look at that next word, as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. And again, the Old Testament sacrificial system is in view. The person presenting the offering would bring the animal to the temple, okay? He would put his hand on the head of the animal. The priest would take a sharp knife and would run from ear to ear across the neck of the, of the little lamb and slit its throat and pull its head back and its blood would drain out. And on certain days of the year, like the Day of Atonement, rivers of blood would flow out of the temple as thousands upon thousands of animals would be killed. The picture was that the sin of that man and his family was being symbolically transferred onto that animal, and then the animal's life was being taken. A substitution was being made. And it's a picture of a greater sacrifice to come in Christ. But this verse in Romans 12 is different. It's different. God is not looking for a dead animal. He's looking for a live person. He wants your body, he wants all that you are as a living sacrifice, not a dead one. And so this is a costly sacrifice for you and for me. It means that in each and every day of your life and in each and every waking moment of that day, in every thought, in every word, in every action, that God will be put on display and lifted high that all of your life at all times would be lifted to him as a pleasing aroma. You see, worship is not just singing songs when the band is up on Fridays and Sundays. It's not just carrying a big MacArthur study Bible around. Worship is a life that seeks to magnify Christ above all things and at all times. It is a lifestyle. It's not reserved to a location like the temple in Jerusalem or to church on Sunday morning. That's too small. It's too provincial. Everywhere where God's people are, that's where God's worship is. It is the outward expression of a heart that is on fire for Jesus Christ. It is to live each and every day with Christ as first place in everything. To give him your body, verse one. To give him your mind, verse two. To submit all that you are to him. And friend, it is not easy and it is not cheap to do that, there is a cost involved. I thought back about a book I read a few years ago called Flags of Our Fathers. Maybe you've seen it, maybe you've read about it, but it, it details the six men that put the flag into the ground on the top of a mountain on Iwo Jima in World War II. It's the six guys huddled around pushing a flag up. They call it the most photographed scene, or the, it's, been, it's been more published than any other picture in history. I'm sure you've got a picture of it in your mind as the guys raised that flag. The Allied forces, and specifically the American Marines, Needed to gain control of this little spit of land, little tiny island off the south coast of about seven hundred miles off the coast of Japan, so they could land their planes, take back off, and go bomb Japan and have a base there, etc. Japan, the Japanese soldiers were entrenched on this little tiny island, eight miles wide, couple miles long, eight, couple miles wide, little tiny spot. And the the allies bombed it for days, trying to knock the Japanese out. And finally they decided we will go and and storm the beach. And so they came to this beach that was sloping upward, that was kind of a horseshoe shape, looked like a good place to land. And up around on this horseshoe was raised ground and rocks um, and kind of hills going around. And they got onto the sand, they got off their vehicles and started moving forward through this ashen deep sand as they walked. And as soon as the transport vehicles started pulling out, all the men were there thinking they had made it. The Japanese opened fire, they were in a kill box and they opened from every conceivable angle with the Americans down the middle and literally cut them to shreds, killing almost every single man that got off of that boat onto the beach. And for the next 25 or 30 days, the Americans continued to pour more and more lives, more and more soldiers, a lot of them your ages, is 18 to 20 years old, onto that beach over and over again, seeking to take that small spit of land. It is a crazy story. They would go some days one or two feet forward, And some days one or two feet back was all the progress. As the Japanese were in bunkers, they were in caves, they were in little splits in the rock where you could only see out small little windows. But the Americans were there. It would be one of the hardest fought battles in world, World War II and one of the bloodiest. And if you want a good read, Flags of Our Fathers is phenomenal. I highly recommend it. But anyway, these soldiers were young men who were laying down their lives day after day, stepping into harm's way over and over. They sacrificed themselves, not just once, but every day they woke up actively making a decision to stay in the battle, to keep fighting, to wake up every single morning in the face of danger and continue on the mission. Eventually they prevailed, but like I said, it was costly. I think it's a worthwhile comparison of what it means to be a living sacrifice. As a Christian, it is an active process. It is a constant process and it is a costly process. It is daily decision to deny our flesh, to put our whole self on the altar and to live that day. No, to live that moment for the glory of God. My friend, that is worship. When he gets all of you at all times. When the passing pleasures of this world and everything your body and your mind are telling you that you want, you deny that for the sake of honoring Christ. Sometimes you deny that and it's foot by foot forward in that day. And sometimes you lose ground foot by foot backwards. It is a battle that rages. It's called sanctification and it's happening in the hearts and life of every single Christian who's here. We move forward against the flesh in an active process, saying to God day by day, I take my body and I lay it down as a living sacrifice. I give it to you today in this moment again so that you would be glorified by how I live. Paul said in 1 Corinthians nine twenty six therefore I run in such a way as not without aim, I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body, listen, I make it my slave. He takes his body, brings it under full control. And he says, lest after I have preached to others, I would be disqualified. He wants to win. He wants to run. He wants to honor Christ. And so he gives all that he am to that, all that he is to that. Let's be honest. We struggle with giving God everything, don't we? We struggle with being a living sacrifice. We're okay with Sunday mornings. We're okay with Friday night, but making him Lord of every area is difficult. The old saying is true. He is Lord of all or not Lord at all. But too often we believe our sinful pursuits will bring more satisfaction than Christ. And so our affections get wrapped up in the passing pleasures of life instead of in Christ. And we choose to worship lesser things. Friend, you are made to worship and you're worshiping something right now. And the Bible says to put yourself as a living sacrifice on the altar of God and give yourself to him. So that along with Paul, you can say in Philippians one twenty-one, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So worship involves all that you are, number one. Worship is costly, number two. Number three, worship is giving God your best. Worship is giving God your best. Look back at Romans 12, one again. He says, to present your bodies a living, and look at this next phrase, and holy sacrifice. That word there, holy, is to be set apart. Um, it, it is to separate, to put something aside, to be different than other things. In the Old Testament, the requirement was to have a holy animal, an animal without blemish, an animal that would be set aside for God. He didn't want lame or weak or sick, dying animals. He required them to bring their best. This animal has been set apart because it's perfect. It is of the best possible state and it's worthy to be brought before God. Watch this, Romans 12:1. You and I too are not to come God with Leftovers. Not to come to him unprepared, but to come to him in a holy way. Psalm 24, verse 4 says, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? Listen, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, the psalmist says. We are to come to God with a life that honors him. You and I cannot live Monday through Saturday all week long for ourselves and then show up on Sunday morning ready to worship. We cannot be entertained by things for which Christ died and then walk out of the theater ready to share our faith. I I was convicted of this yet again because years ago, I took three of my surgeon clients to uh, New York for a training Uh, like an educational trip. And we had an extra day, and so we were sightseeing in Manhattan. We went to a bunch of the, the main sites, saw Ground Zero, a bunch of other things. It was a great trip. But it was dead center of summer, and it was 100 degrees outside. And in New York, the humidity was like 85 degrees. So you're just pouring sweat. You're miserable walking around. Everything is just grimy and gross. And finally, we decided, you know what, let's get out of this and go to the movies. And so we went to the theater and checked it out and there's the movie, we're gonna see this. And I look up and it's rated R. And I've seen the commercials and I know this movie does not honor the Lord. And I'm ashamed to say I made the decision to go in anyway and watch the movie because I didn't wanna make a scene. I didn't wanna say, well, I can't because of this. And so I went and I watched. And even more, I'm ashamed to say I watched the entire movie that was filled with raunchy humor, excessive skin, language, everything you can imagine three hours later, we go to dinner. And I've been praying for opportunities with these guys for years. And one of them says to me, hey, you're a Christian, right? And we begin a conversation about the gospel. And there I am having, in an unholy way, indulged the desires of my flesh watching this and then the spirit of God gives me an opportunity to preach the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ to men who are dying and on their way to hell and I'm unprepared because I didn't put my life on the altar and say no to the flesh and deny that and put myself as a worship to God. I wasn't ready to share the gospel. What real power does that have? My words felt hollow because my life didn't match the message. Jesus said in Matthew 15, seven, you hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me. Maybe you felt that too. It's a Sunday morning. We're gathering and moving out to four tables for communion. You've been living in selfish pleasure all week long and you can barely open your mouth to sing. You're not even sure what to do. You come to the communion table and you're unprepared to meet your savior. We've all been there. We've all been there in an unholy way, living for ourselves, struck by the reality that we haven't honored Christ in the way that we've lived. You know that in John chapter two, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he walks into Jerusalem and he goes into the temple And men there have taken the temple and turned it into a business. You gotta bring an animal, but if you don't have an animal, they'll sell you one. And by the way, your animal's not good enough. You gotta buy one of ours. And they're charging above market rate and they're making a killing. And Jesus says they've turned the house of worship into a a den of robbers. And so he makes a whip. and And John chapter two says that he is basically indignant and raging like a bull or a horse that is just ready to charge and he flips over the tables and he drives the animals out. And in righteous, furious anger, he cleanses that temple. That temple was made out of stone and made out of wood, and it's gone. How much more does Jesus Christ care about the temple of the Holy Spirit that is your body? How much more does he want holiness from you and from me? And what will he do to make you holy? He may discipline, he may challenge, but he will purify us and he won't stop, Colossians says, until Christ is formed in you. So what is it for you? What area of holiness do you lack right now? Your thought life, your work life, in your friendships, on your phone or your iPad, in your relationships? Where does He need to be Lord and sit on the throne of your heart and clean you out? If He's revealing things, invite the cleansing power of the Spirit to come, to restore you and to make you new. Can I put a little asterisk on here? I am not trying to beat you down and trying to say, be better. That's not the, what, what the Bible teaches. We will never be perfect. We are sinners saved by grace. We fail and we fall every day. It is by the grace of God that we can even approach into his presence. And he stands ready to forgive and to cleanse. And so in that moment of sin, we don't say, oh, I blew it too bad. Oh, well, and no, we come and we go to our savior, to our high priest, and we say, please, I come and I offer myself again. I give you my body one more time. Cleanse me and make me new and forgive me that I might worship you. And first John 1, 9 says that he's faithful to cleanse us and to forgive us from all of our sin. The goal according to Romans chapter 12, verse one, I started here, is to be acceptable to God. This is your spiritual service of worship. To be acceptable to Him. In, in that verse, it could also be translated in your Bibles. If you look down it, maybe some of yours says, well-pleasing to Him. To come to Him as the one who is worthy, lay down our lives, and to give Him our best. We want our sacrifice to be something that He accepts something that he finds favor so that he looks at you and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. 2 Corinthians 5.9 says, therefore we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. And so we seek to battle sin, to give ourselves, all of ourselves, as both living and holy sacrifices. This brings up a really interesting question. The question is why? We're talking about all of us. We're talking about all of our desires, all of our ambitions, all of our hopes, all of self. We're talking about giving everything that we are. It is a costly commitment. Why should we do this? That brings us to our final point. Number four is this. Worship is motivated by mercy. Look back at Romans 12:1. I skipped these phrases, but I'll read the whole verse and we're gonna focus on the beginning. It says, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, there it is, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Let me ask the question again. Why do you lay your body on the altar? Why do you give him everything? Why do you set yourself apart in such a costly way? Paul says, it is because of the mercies of God. Notice that he doesn't command his readers. He urges them. He entreats them. He's coming alongside them, calling them brothers. Brothers, come with me. This is all of us together. He is entreating, exhorting them as brothers and sisters in the faith, coming alongside and saying, remember that we are recipients of the mercy of God. He just spent 11 chapters, Romans one through 11, laying out this amazing doctrine of what justification, what does it mean to be a Christian? How are we sanctified? All of these blessings of God, talking about his amazing grace, his unstoppable love, his kindness that leads us to repentance, all of his mercies to you and me as lost sinners. Um, those who are his enemies, and how he pours us out and adopts us as children of God, how God has opened heaven and poured out his blessings and his mercies upon each one of us, that which we did not deserve, the greatest of which was the giving of his own son. You want to talk about a living sacrifice? Look at the life of Jesus Christ. He lived and died as the perfect lamb of God, not for any wrong that he did, but to cover our transgressions. He was laid on the altar. He gave his entire life for you, for me. So again, why do we worship? What is our motivation? It is because of the mercies of God that have been clearly demonstrated through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The worship of God is the response of a grateful heart that cries out, if he would give all of this for me, then I will give this, my life, for him. These sin-stained hands, this head full of rocks and heart made of stone, the song says, I will give that to him. I willingly give up my ambitions, my hopes, my future, all the things of this world, I lay them on the altar. I give myself wholly to him because he gave himself for me. This is not an obligation. It is not a duty. This is a delight. Worship is not trying to please God by my own efforts. Worship is my response to Jesus' work on my behalf. It is a heart that is overflowing with thankfulness, overflowing with praise, that abandons self and with full and complete surrender gives ourselves completely to him. You can't contain it. It doesn't have to be generated from within. It is overflowing. And, the, and if you don't feel that right now, it's because you're not firmly fixed on the mercies of God. Because when you understand what he did for you as a lost sinner, you can't help but say, I just wanna give something back to him. Take me, all of what I am, I offer it wholly to you. Paul said it this way in Philippians 3.8, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. David said it in Psalm 27:4. one thing I've asked of the Lord, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. I just wanna be near him where I can worship. That is worship, a life that prizes God above all else. And to live with this type of devotion is the high point of every human being. Friend, every one of us was made to worship. The question is, what are you worshiping right now? And if we were to ask you, what is your identity? I would tell you tonight, your identity as a Christian is one who is a a temple of God. And you are a worshiper. So let me wrap. Worship is all that you are. Worship is constant. Worship is giving your best. Worship is motivated by mercy. But not all that are listening to the sound of my voice are worshipers at least not worshiping God with a capital G. Why not? What holds you back? What more information do you need? What keeps you from surrendering your life to God? What trinkets of this earth are you holding on to? Psalm says that the days of our lives are 70 or 80 years of strength and Ecclesiastes says they fly away. What do you hold on to? as opposed to laying down your life and all the things you hold dear and giving yourself to Jesus Christ. Only when you throw down the idol of self, of success, of sinful pleasure, can you find Christ. So, if you don't know Christ, we'd love to help you to become a worshiper of the one true God. For the rest of us, we are the temple of God, and so we worship. Last week, we saw that we are the children of God and we are loved. Next week, we're gonna see we are the possession of God and so we serve. I hope you'll come back even though it's gonna be online and not in this parking lot. If you would turn to 1 Peter 2, verse five. 1 Peter 2, verse five. Peter says this, you also as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. Look down at verse nine. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We have received mercy and so we worship. And we're gonna do that in song before we close. But before we get there, let me close our time in prayer. Father, thank you so much.